Welcome to Always On Mission, evangelizing in challenging times. I'm Rosemary Maffey. And I'm Tom Lyman. We're coming to you from the Archdiocese of Boston. We hope to bring you some joy and encouragement during this challenging time. We'll do that this week and every week by profiling the life of a saint who evangelized in a challenging situation, as well as someone who is living that same evangelization right now here in the Archdiocese of Boston. How's it going, Tom? Pretty good, Rosemary. How are you today? Great. So it's the fifth week of Easter, and it's also the second week in May, the special month where we honor our Blessed Mother. And there's so many beautiful ways to do this individually and as the body of Christ. Pope Francis has encouraged us to pray the rosary daily as a family. And the bishops in our country have reconsecrated the U.S. and Canada to Mary. What are some special ways that you and your own family have honored Mary during May? Well, first and foremost, I'd say that we we were able to participate live in that reconsecration of our nation in Canada to Our Lady on Friday, May 1st with Archbishop Gomez, which was such a beautiful uh, celebration, and uh, he gave such a wonderful homily on that day. That's awesome. How about yourself? Well, I love the rosary, even when I can't concentrate well and I get easily distracted, but I still love it. I love calling upon Mary to put her mantle of protection around me or anyone I love during a hard situation. And Tom, you know what I've come across just in recent years, that beautiful devotion to Mary, the undoer of knots. I love that one. That's right. She's one to call upon often if we can. That's true. And she really helps us undo the knots of sin in our life to help us grow ever closer to God, which of course is a true goal of any disciple. And speaking of disciples, our guest today is a young disciple, Francesca Alberti. And it'll be so fun to talk to her about life as a college student during this pandemic. And also somehow as a full-time college student, she fits in running youth ministry for a few of our churches in our archdiocese. Who's our um, saint for today, Tom? Well, today for our saint, I would like to set the stage for you a little bit before I announce his name. And I'm going to read something uh, that describes the place where he was and his and his own heart a little bit. And so he read the letter over and over. You may stay as long as your devotion dictates. The words exploded against his mind and shook his heart. Again and once again, he read them. They were the most welcome words he had ever received. He stood and listened to the sounds about him. Soft, cool breezes gently swept across his island. The palm trees along the shore bowed before the refreshing winds and clapped their great fronds in joy. Bright morning sunlight played over the trees, turning the leaves now silver blue. The Pacific waves rolled tranquilly against the rocky shores. The green and white waters rose and fell. The ocean's motion never stopped day or night. The restless power locked in the Pacific's waves mirrored the surging energies locked within his own heart. And that heart that I'm speaking to you of is that of St. Damien de Wooster, St. Damien of Molokai, who is our saint for today, Rosemary. Wow, that really sets the tone. What a beautiful setup, Tom. So tell us a little bit about Damien's background. 
Yes, so uh, Father Damien was born in 1840 in Tremolo, Belgium, and entered the Congregation of the Sacred Hearts at 19. He grew up on a farm and was a grew up with, with hard manual labor. He was a strong guy, did a lot of outdoor work. And as a young man, as a, uh, uh, a seminarian, a, a novice in the order, he often prayed before an image of St. Francis Xavier, the great Jesuit missionary who you know baptized thousands upon thousands uh, in what is now China uh, and in all in India as well. Um, and he prayed that he would be sent to the missions. Um, very interestingly, in, in religious life in those days, when one made one's uh, profession of final vows, the public profession of vows, um, you know, the person would, uh, would prostrate themselves in the funeral pall would actually be placed over the person professing their final vows. Wow. Now, you literally, you know, something usually you do at a funeral, this is done over the, the living person's body to show that they are now dying to the things of the world and that their new life in Christ is all uh, that to which they dedicate themselves from that point on. So the funeral pall was placed over him at final vows. Now, his brother was also a uh, member of this congregation, and his brother was all set to become a missionary to go to Hawaii. But his brother fell ill, and they asked Damien if he would like to take his place. And he said, well, sure. You know, th this was the answer to his prayer. He had been hoping to become a missionary. And so he arrived in Honolulu in 1864. This is a year before his ordination to the priesthood and was ordained a priest in Hawaii, actually, a uh, member of the Congregation of the Sacred Hearts in May of 1865. Now, a little background before we uh, go on, a little background about Hawaii at this time. So Hawaii was one of sort of the, the last discoveries in the age of exploration, so to speak, really happened during the 1770s. Um, and when uh, uh, European explorers arrived there, Captain Cook and, and others, they discovered a, a pretty heavily populated place. 300,000 natives lived on the islands and they enjoyed uh, relative abundance. And, you know, as we all know, the uh, fantastic weather and beauty um, that uh, very much like paradise in so many ways. Um, but sadly, uh, with the arrival of the Europeans there, much like in North America and, and in Africa, uh, maybe less so in Africa, but tremendous devastation by um, Western and Asian diseases to which they had never been exposed on these distant Pacific islands. And so the population uh, went from 300,000 natives to only 50,000. So great devastation over the course of the early 19th century. And sadly, one of those diseases which was introduced to the Hawaiian Islands was Hansen's disease, a disease that had not been seen in Europe for close to a thousand years, 800 to a thousand years, which we also know as leprosy. Yet a disease which we often have not experienced, but at which the name of which almost everyone shudders because we know how terrible a disease it is. And so the Hawaiian government undertook um, to uh, control this and to quarantine these people. So, so many of us now are living in quarantine and uh, anybody who had the disease was actually rounded up. And this is very sad. They were rounded up even at gunpoint, forced onto boats and brought to the island of Molokai, which did not even have a dock. 
So the people were actually sometimes pushed off these boats and made to swim ashore if they made it. These are people who were sick with leprosy. And so they arrived on shore often injured from having been pushed off the boat, uh, coming over these rocks. Uh, and 800 lepers arrived in this way on the island of Molokai prior to Father Damien's arrival. What a challenging life. Could you talk to um, St. Damien's mission to really honor and respect each individual and his or her dignity? Yes. And so this was the fascinating thing that, you know, these people had been left to themselves with very little care um, and, uh, and very little, very few resources just to kind of fend for themselves alone in an isolated part of an island way up a high cliff uh, on this kind of plateau of an island. And, um, you know, they, they lived in hovels. They did not have a proper way to bury the dead. Uh, they could only bury them in such shallow graves that often the bodies of the deceased would be eaten by wild animals, uh, a very undignified way to to bury the human person. Um, and uh, on top of that, there was a lot of immorality. A lot of the people turned to uh, kind of debauchery, really, um, which, of course, as we know, does not lead to human flourishing and led to a lot of despair, a lot of sin uh, on that island. Um, and so Damien, his first inclination was, well, we've got to, first of all, bury these people with dignity. And so he said, we're going to have real funeral masses. We're going to build a proper chapel. And he did this and gave them a dignified funeral. He trained a choir to sing to make it a beautiful funeral mass. He uh, developed a cemetery and the proper burial of each person was begun. Um, in addition to that, he really began to minister to the sick, you know, not only anointing them and hearing their confessions and bringing them communion, because these people were Catholic. A lot of them had already been converted. Um, but he also took physical care of them. You know, he washed their bodies. Now, I mean, you know, leprosy is it's known that you you it's the contagion is by touch. And so he did not at all abstain from touching them. He kind of knew when he arrived there that he was going to get this disease. He was going to become one of these people and love them right until the end. So he washed their bodies, bandaged their wounds. He helped to clean their homes. Um, and let's not forget, I mean, th this disease, uh, you know, this is a really disgusting disease. I mean, it's um, repulsive. You know, I mean, like the, the body of one who is sick with it actually has a particular stink. And so, I mean, he himself sometimes had to smoke a pipe just to kind of bear being in the presence of, of all these poor people who were so sick. Um, but he encouraged the lepers to help them, help him rather, in all his activities. And it, I mean, his evangelization was total. It wasn't just, you know, okay, I'm going to provide sacramental ministry, which is essential and healing. But he said, I'm going to heal your spirit in another way as well. And by doing that, he invited them to help build them uh, cottages, to construct a rectory, a home for lepers' children. Um, they, they built a proper road between the uh, different points on the island, even to the point of, uh, of blasting rocks to open up a docking facility so there'd be no more of those terrible arrivals on the island. He taught them to farm, to play musical instruments, to sing. I mean, think of all these things that they were deprived of and which we know they were suffering without uh, when he had arrived. And um, 
you know, organized bands of people who marched up and down playing their wonderful Hawaiian music. And there was really, this is a place where there would be no self-pity. You know, I mean, he wanted people to basically live to their fullest, even in their reduced state. And he really helped restore that dignity, uh, even um, in those that, you know, think, you know, they, they may have only had a certain level of kind of a physical challenge, but he fully restored that internal dignity uh, and brought brought back to them a joy that had been so thoroughly lacking. Wow, Tom, what a leader. Under Damien, it seems like their lives were totally transformed, so much so that wasn't there an American author who saw that between visits, life on the island had changed dramatically? That's right. So um, this American writer, Charles Warren Stoddard, visited Molokai in 1868, which is five years before Damien got there in 1873. And, you know, he saw what I described earlier, just the, the misery, the poverty uh, and the sickness. But he returned in 1884. Uh, so that is 16 years later. And in place of what he saw, he found two villages of white houses surrounded by flower gardens and cultivated fields. Molokai boasted a decent hospital, a graveyard, and two orphanages filled with children. But what delighted Stoddard most of all was that men and women, instead of rotting in the slime awaiting death, they were out horseback riding. I mean, look at what uh, Damien uh, initiated uh, just by one one person, one person with the love of God who wanted to bring Christ to these people. Now, I, get, I guess without surprise, because Damien so closely served those with leprosy, he eventually got leprosy himself. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And, you know, very early in his time on Molokai, he he really wanted to identify himself as closely as possible with the lepers. And so even way before he was sick with it himself, he spoke of himself and the people of Molokai as we lepers. So when he wrote to uh, his brothers, in, his brother rather in Europe, um, he said, I make myself a leper with the, with the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. That is why in preaching, I say, we lepers and not my brethren. So he didn't have any separation. This is, you know, also an element of the new evangelization where we we want to recognize and develop a relationship with people, which is it's a necessary precursor to proclaiming the good news is to have a friendship with the one that we would like to share the good news with. Um, you know, it's a uh, it's interesting. Uh, in September 1881, the Hawaiian princess, let's see if I can say her name, Liliuo Kalani, visited Molokai to see what the, the, the fuss was about this leper colony and this Father Damien, who by this point was becoming pretty well known. Um, she, on arriving there, was so deeply moved by the leper's suffering that she was unable to give the speech she had prepared. And so she left Molokai with a broken heart and asked that Father Damien receive the Hawaiian Order of Knight Commander of the Royal Order of Kalakaua, and, or Kalakaua, is that how you say it? Uh, in recognition of his efforts in alleviating the distress and mitigating the sorrows of the unfortunate. And Damien accepted it, hoping that it would bring attention to 
the plight of the lepers. And sure enough, it did. I mean, money poured in from donors around the world, including on the mainland United States. Remember, this was just an American territory at that time. Um, and so uh, he was also a uh, a fearless de- director of development, shall we say. He knew what he was doing. And he also advocated and fought uh, with the Hawaiian authorities from time to time to, to get everything that these lepers deserved. Tom, Damien really sought great consolation from the Mass, and also as a true disciple, he sought the sacrament of reconciliation. And of course, being in isolation, that was quite hard. (laughs) And the example of him and the way he received this great sacrament is one of the most beautiful examples of humility I have ever heard. Could you share with us that? Yes. So during one particular period when uh, isolation uh, was particularly strictly enforced, and many of our listeners perhaps can relate to this, depending on the community where you live or the state where the, you know, all of the rules are different for our quarantine. Likewise, then strict enforcement was going on. And the ship's captain um, did not let Father Damien's bishop disembark on Malachi. He would not let him get anywhere near the island. So um the captain also refused Father Damien's request to board the boat to make his confession. So the priest pleaded in vain with the captain, saying that he wanted to confess his sins. So finally, the, uh, Father Damien says to the bishop, he says, Bishop, will you hear my confession from here? And the bishop consented, and Father Damien, in an exercise of humility that touched all who witnessed it, confessed his sins aloud to the bishop, yelling them from where he was to the boat. Can you imagine having to do that? I cannot. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. It's, yeah. And so uh, he, I mean, talk about recognizing the importance of the sacrament for your soul at all costs. Amen he to that. even worry about anyone hearing what he said. He's like, you know what? Forget it. I, I need God's mercy. And I know, I know it's available to me in this way, even if you all have to hear it, you know? So really remarkable. Um, he wrote that, you know, the cemetery, the church, and rectory form one enclosure. Thus, at nighttime, I am still keeper of this garden of the dead, where my spiritual children lie at rest. My greatest pleasure is to go there and say my beads and meditate on that unending happiness, which so many of them are enjoying. And so April 15th, 1889, he succumbed to the disease, having been um, you know, deeply humbled by it, uh, having you know lost his ability to sense, uh, you know, in, in his in his his limbs, you know, and losing his part of his eyesight and his face kind of melting away. Um, so now, uh, Saint Damien of Molokai, canonized just in two thousand nine, uh, remains for us as an incredible model of someone who. Uh, despite these extraordinarily difficult conditions, you know, physical isolation, quarantine, um, managed to continue to evangelize and transform a whole society, a whole place. And go right back to those words that his religious superiors said to him in that letter. You may stay as long as your devotion dictates. They were very hesitant to force any priest, including Father Damien, to go minister on this in this place because they knew it was a death sentence. So they, they weren't going to say, you have to do this, Father Damien. But Father Damien wanted it. He wanted this particular mission. You may stay as long as your devotion dictates. And he did. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing about his life. What a beautiful example of humble service of the Lord and his people. Could you close us with a prayer, Tom? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you gave us a great gift in the example of St. Damien of Molokai. We pray that in our own challenging times, when our ministry environment and missionary situation is altered and changed beyond what we have ever known, grant us the same courage you granted to St. Damien, that we too may, with your help, transform the world. Through Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Well, much like St. Damien, our next guest didn't let the challenging missionary environment slow down her missionary impulse and generous response to the call to evangelize. Stay tuned for our conversation with Francesca Alberti. to Always On Mission, Evangelizing in Challenging Times. Tom and I are joined by Francesca Alberti, also known as Chessie. Chessie is a full-time college student at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and somehow finds time to also do youth ministry back in our archdiocese. Welcome, Chessie. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you guys. So first off, this is probably not the semester in college that you expected. So tell us what life's like on college campus when the pandemic started. It was crazy. Um, we were actually all on mission trips. They have Missions of Peace um, at Franciscan University, and they go to 15 different places from Jamaica to Bronx, New York. So I was actually in Bronx, New York, serving with a team of 22 people. Um, somehow we all got back without Corona, which is just a miracle. Um, and we all were there. And when we got back to campus, they took us in to get our temperatures taken and then said we had to leave in a week. Um, and so it was really crazy when this all started because nobody was even on campus. We just got back from spring break. Um, and my mission trip was like amazing. And then they're like, you have to go home. Um, but it's been a beautiful experience, honestly, and we all keep in touch and yeah, it was just a really weird <laughs> situation. That's for sure. So what does college life look like now virtually and how are you supporting all your peers? So college life right now is definitely, um, interesting and unique. Uh, I normally wake up every morning and like watch daily mass. Um, and we all check in with each other for daily prayer. So some of us have like a group chat an accountability group chat, a group of us girls, and we'll just text in it when we pray, um, each day, which is beautiful and awesome. It really helps me to just like stay on track. Um, and then throughout the day, um, I'll put like the same time I would normally eat with people or have meals with people. I'll just put the same times as phone calls. So I'll have phone calls with those same people that I would eat with on that day or hang out with on that day. And thanks to social media and FaceTime and Zoom, we actually end up having like game nights on Zoom some nights. And um, you can just use jackbox.tv and it's like this app that you can have game nights with all your friends and everybody, we have friends from California, like we have friends from Michigan. Um, it's just super cool to be able to still be together and kind of have that college feel, <laughs> even though we're not together. Um, that's been really nice. That's so great. Yeah. Jesse, tell us a little bit about the youth ministry you fit in while you're back here at home. So that's crazy. Yes. So I love my job. Um, 
Father Matt offered me the job last year in January. Father Matt Williams in, in Quincy? Yes, Father Matt Williams. Yeah. And he offered me the job in January of last year. And he said that the Holy Spirit was telling him to offer me this youth ministry job. And so I prayed on it and I had been asking the Lord for a way to serve him in a deeper way. And this was the way. And he just made a clear path. Um, the Holy Spirit really showed the way that this was where I was supposed to be. So after I took the job, we started with one retreat called Snow Camps, which camp stands for Christ as my personal savior. And we sent um, nine kids to this camp and we fundraised through a cookie sale the weekend before the camp. And we ended up raising a lot of money. And a way to do that is just you don't put a price on the cookies and you just stand outside in the back of the church. With, you have all the kids with trays. And you have somebody go speak about the event and people will donate like a lot of money because they want to see the youth grow. Like the church wants to see the youth have an interaction with Jesus Christ. Like they want to see them have an encounter with him, mm. um, which is so beautiful. And our parish is very much about that and haven't seen anything like this in like 20 years. So um, the kids were really the first sign of there's actually life at this parish. So once they came back, these nine kids were on fire and one in particular actually ended up bringing about 10 of her friends to a drop-in, which we have every first Friday of the month. They're middle school drop-ins and about 50 middle schoolers show up and we just play games with them and teach them about Jesus. We had one that was darkness to light and how when you're in darkness, like Jesus can bring you to light. And so we played like glow in the dark, capture the flag and um, blind man dodgeball. So one person's blindfolded and the other person has to guide them around. and. It was just amazing to see how quickly it grew. And by the summer, we had about 40 consistent kids um, who would be around the parish, whether it's at youth group every week or at the drop-ins or coming to Canopy Lake Park. And um, by mid-July, they were running a whole retreat for a whole week retreat for young kids. They ran a vacation Bible school, um, all the teenagers. So it was beautiful. And these were just kids that who, who had been on snow camps for the first time, right? Yes. It was, it wow. was crazy. It was... They... There was one kid, they explained it as Father Matt taught me what it was to have a father in my life. And snow camps taught me that there's also a heavenly father. Mm. And just, it was just so beautiful to see each of them in their personal encounter, but then to bring it back to the parish and that community life to grow so deeply. Like our parish, we really believe that it's not a youth group, it's a family. The whole, the whole face of our whole entire parish is all about a familia aspect. It's about having a family outlook on the parish. So we have adults involved. We have kids involved. They ran the VBS. Like it's all about acting as though we're a family because that's how it starts in the home. Um, so inviting their parents to join in, like whatever we can do to get the whole family involved. Like that's what we want to do. That's wonderful. Now, how did you and the team have to adjust your ministry when the pandemic hit? So yeah, um, that was tough. I think especially coming home and I'm still at college. I actually finished my last final today. So thank Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I'm out for summer. So that's great. Um, but it was definitely tough because I was still doing school and there was such a need at the parish. So I thought about it and I decided to carve out certain times of my week. So when I came home, I was planning on coming home for Easter anyway, because we run a 
retreat called Hunger for Justice, which the teens fast for 30 hours and they raise money for third world countries. Um, another thing they do, they sleep in cardboard boxes in a gym and a cafeteria, the, guy, the girls in the gym, the guys in the cafeteria, and they learn how to live in solidarity with the poor. And then they wake up the next morning at 7 a.m. and they go into Boston and they feed the homeless while they're starving. And it's just a beautiful encounter. Um, like with the Lord, especially on Good Friday to see him suffer and then to pick up our own cross so that others don't have to is such like a beautiful retreat. And so I've been involved in that my whole life, obviously, because my mom, my mother, Andrew Alberti started it like 30 years ago, um, less than that, like 25 years ago. Um, and she, she started this retreat and, um, it's such a beautiful thing that has grown so largely like all across Massachusetts. And, so when we came back, I was like, I think we should still do this. And my mom was like, we were just going to fundraise. And I was like, I think that we still need to do this. And so I prayed a lot with it. And the week before I was like, we're doing the whole retreat. <laughs> and so I wrote up the whole schedule and got it approved by my mom became my boss two months after I got hired. So I got it approved by my boss and by father Matt. And, um, they were like, yes, we should do this. And so we had four sessions on zoom and we had 50 kids show up and, to every single session. We thought it was going to get less and less throughout the weekend, but they actually kept coming. And the best part about this, in my opinion, was we could use so many resources. We couldn't if it was in person. And so it was totally Holy Spirit driven. And we had um, students from Franciscan that are from like California who were on Bronx mission with me speak at this event. And because we were serving in Bronx, like the poverty, like we were serving like the poverty, the poorest of the poor. Um, and it was so beautiful. We got to serve with the CFRs and they like taught us what poverty. Oh, wow. Yes. We stayed with them. So we got to learn what poverty really is. Um, and so to have my friends from that mission speak at this event was so amazing. That could not have happened if it was in person. Um, so the Lord really blessed this event and the kids came out of it. They got to watch the passion of Christ together and they came out of it having a new understanding of the passion. And then they took an hour out of the weekend and we had them just call people and ask them how they were. And then like at the end of their phone call, after like showing them that like somebody cares about them, we had them ask them like, would you like to donate to this mission I'm doing right now? They ended up raising $4,000 in an hour and all together raised over $30,000. Oh my goodness. Yes. We haven't raised that much in years. So it was amazing to see the way the Lord worked. Um, he used it for so much good. It was crazy. And like, it was just beautiful to see them be a witness of Jesus to others throughout this weekend without even like, they thought that they were doing nothing. And then they looked and they were like, oh my gosh, we saved the food pantry at the parish. Cause that's where the money went this year. And it was just, it was just amazing. They're amazing kids. <laughs> so, yeah. It's extraordinary what God does when we simply say yes. Exactly. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But in the day to day we do father Matt does a holy hour from three to four on his YouTube channel. Um, I'm actually going to start a series on his YouTube channel as well. Um, it's going to be about what is your why? Um, really just asking the questions of why, why do you believe in God? Why do we pray? Um, all those types of questions for teenagers. My mom's starting um, set like a kind of segment on the Catholic basics um, to teach teenagers the Catholic basics of the church, which could go into the confirmation classes. And that's our YouTube. And then he also does daily mass at 8 a.m. And then me and Ariana on Monday nights on the Instagram and on the Facebook. That's your sister, Ariana. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. My sister, Ariana, and I, we do um, praise and worship on Monday nights at 8 p.m. on our Facebook page for the parish and on our Instagram for the youth. Um, and 
yes. And so that's been really amazing to do, especially for us, because to praise together has just been beautiful because we go to different colleges. So it's been great to be home and to praise together um, and pray with somebody. And so it's, that's been awesome to have that community. So. How do you think all these different things will affect the way we approach evangelization, Chessie? I think coming from somebody um, who's a young adult, I really think that this is so good. Like the Lord's going to make so much good out of this. Like I'm such a firm believer of that. And I think one thing that the parishes really struggled with was social media approach. And that's why we didn't have that much youth anymore. Like, especially Massachusetts, I just knowing, like remembering like my freshman year of high school compared to now, there's so much less youth um, involvement. Um, And so it's been beautiful to see this social media, like just the amount of followers we're getting on our thing, on our social medias and our YouTube. Um, I'm really excited to see the way other parishes are also growing in that aspect. And so I think it's really going to have an amazing connection with the youth in a way we never have before. Um, and so that's obviously from the youth standpoint, but even just like parish community, it's just like people who never knew how to work a computer now know how to. And so we can communicate better with those people and evangelize better because this is the reality of our world. Like now we're kind of forced into using technology more, but this is kind of where our world is going. Um, it's just constant technology. And so it's so beautiful because that can pull people in and even though when we get back into the real world, Sunday mass partition, participation might go down, but daily mass participation will go up. Like it's just a reality. And the reason is because we're seeing who like thirsts for the Eucharist and we're seeing how those people miss it so much and like want that drive. And like those people will go out and be disciples who are on fire and bring other people in and bring those people into daily mass and bring those people into an encounter with Jesus. Um, and so just how beautiful it is that we'll have like such devout disciples. And that's like through this time of like pandemic, that's like crazy. But these people are going to be so on fire for the Lord when we get back to like sacraments or we get our sacraments back. So, yeah. Chessie, I love your passion for your ministry and your passion for Jesus. How has this pandemic affected your personal relationship with Jesus? It has been amazing. Um, I never thought that prayer life could be so intimate with Jesus. Um, in this time, there's like at Franciscan, it's beautiful because we have so many opportunities to pray. We have the port, which is 24 hour adoration chapel. Um, we have daily mass three times during the day that you can get to. We have households, which encourage you to grow in your faith. Um, they're faith-based communities, um, females and male households, and they're beautiful. And you have commitments throughout the week that help you grow in your faith, but you're always relying on those things in a way. And so to come home and to have to solely rely on my relationship with Jesus is so different. And I think that's for everybody. Everybody's really seeing like, how is my prayer life and what is it based on? Um, And so is it based on you have this hour throughout your week that you have? And so I'm just going to do it this one hour once a week, or am I actually committed to daily prayer life? And so for me, it was coming home and realizing I have to have a daily prayer life that's like marked out and like real. Um, And I need to figure out what ways, what ways do I pray? Like what ways help me feel like I'm growing closer to the Lord and help me grow closer to the Lord. Um, and so for me, a big thing is journaling and that's been beautiful to just see, um, how much writing out things I'm an external processor. And so writing out really helps me with my relationship with Jesus. Um, and reading scripture is so important like daily because it helps us see who Jesus is, especially the gospels. It helps us see who Jesus is. 
It's a love story, like from the father of what he did for us. The greatest sacrifice of praise is Jesus dying on the cross. And so like, if I can sit and just be with him for an hour and that could be my sacrifice of praise back to him, like praise God. And so realizing that and realizing that there can be joy in prayer life, even if you're not around people who are leading praise and worship, or if you're not around, like if there's not lift going on, which is like an event that's run through Massachusetts, like all these things, like, yes, we need those things, but we also need an intimate relationship with God, the father and Jesus Christ. And so be able to grow in that has been like so amazing and so beautiful to just go deeper with that and like see that all he wants is for us to just sit with him. It doesn't take anything more than to just sit in his presence and say, Jesus, I'm here for you. And like, I want to be with you and he'll love us right there. And that's it. And so my prayer life has gone from trying to do all these things to have Christ be like, I love you and I want you to just knowing that by just sitting there, Christ wants me and he loves me. And like, I don't have to do anything. I just have to be me. And that's bringing my brokenness, my hurt, my praises, like the good things, the bad things, whatever it is, bring that all to him. And he just loves that anyway. What a beautiful reminder to just merely rest in his presence and the simplicity of that. That is so cool. Yes. Thank you for that. Well, this has been such an inspiring and encouraging discussion. I want to close it off by asking you the same question we ask all our guests. What does it mean to you, Chessie, to be always on mission? And how might you encourage particularly your peers to step up to the challenge to evangelize even in these challenging times? Yes, I think for me, always on mission means that we always have to be striving for continual conversion. It's not just you have an encounter with Jesus and then that's it and you just stay there for the rest of your life. Constant conversion is like what we're all about in our faith. We need to constantly be growing closer to Christ and through that, bringing others with us and showing them the way through discipleship. And so for me, um, especially with my kids, that's like checking in with them and asking them how they're doing. How's your prayer life? How can I teach you to pray? How can I help you to learn more about Jesus? And so as young adults, something I encourage all young adults to do, especially in college students, is to look for teenagers that you knew in high school and help them, disciple them, show them how to pray, show them in this time how to look to Jesus because they don't know how and they won't listen to their parents most of the time. And so to have somebody who's young and who gets where they gets where they were, like just a couple years ago, to encourage them and disciple them is such a beautiful way to like live on mission every single day. What a joy this has been. So Chessie, could you close us in prayer? Of course. Um, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the blessing of the, our Catholic faith and for the blessing of our archdiocese and how amazing they are for just making ways that we can encounter you more. In this stressful and crazy time, we ask that you heal us all of any fears or anxieties we have. That you can push us to be closer to you and not turn away from you in this time. That we can all constantly be on mission and learn what that means more and more each day. That we can live our lives with you in our hearts and see that you are the way, the truth, and the life in a deeper way every day. And we give all the praise and all the glory to you as we pray. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, 
world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Chessie. Well, I hope you listening are encouraged by Chessie to rest in the presence of the Lord. Know how loved you are and say a big yes to your own call to evangelize. Be sure to subscribe. We look forward to being with you next week on Always on Mission, evangelizing and challenging times. God bless.